This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. There's a, a very important case coming forward soon to uh, court in Texas involving the ACA. Uh, word that the Trump administration won't support the Affordable Care Act in legal challenges brought by GOP-led states. The latest involves the mandate that Americans carry health insurance and its constitutionality. Those states contend that since the mandate will no longer soon be there, that the consumer insurance protections will also no longer be valid as well, including those people with pre-existing conditions. Rob Field joins us in studio. He's professor of law and professor of health care and policy at Drexel University as well as a lecturer here at the Wharton School's Healthcare Management Department. And on the phone with us is Catherine Hempstead, Senior Advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation in New Jersey. Rob, great seeing you again, as always. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you. Catherine, great to have you on the phone. Hello. Thank you. So, I mean, what does this mean for people with pre-existing conditions, Catherine? Because seemingly they, they are the one main target, it looks like, in this process. Well, I mean, first of all, it doesn't mean anything right now. And I think even under the most sort of favorable scenario for the for the DOJ side of this and the, the Republican AG side of this, this is something that's most likely going to be tied up in court for years. And then I think, you know, even if we did see some kind of outcome where those two other provisions are struck down, I think it becomes very um, difficult to figure out what that market would actually look like because the other components of the ACA, like the premium tax credits and the exchanges, would ostensibly still be in place. So I think the my answer is basically a, a long-term question mark, yeah. but I mean, obviously, anything that seeks to undermine these provisions of the ACA, it's not good news for people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah, you the same way. I'll have a big question mark there for the long term. <laughs> Uh, for the long term, it's a question mark, although it's hard to know what any given judge will rule, but it would be hard for me to imagine a more frivolous lawsuit. Uh, the basis for the claim is that because the mandate penalty uh, was taken away by Congress, the mandate is unconstitutional. But the mandate doesn't exist without a penalty. So how can something that doesn't exist, that's been repealed, be unconstitutional. Yeah. Uh, Congress simply got rid of that piece of it. And then if you look at the other pieces of the markets, the, the guaranteed issued, regardless of your health status and the, the community rating, the, the, the same rates for all, um, it is clear that Congress intended those to be severed one from the other yeah. because they chose not to repeal the second two and, and chose to repeal the first. Uh, so legally, this will be in the courts for years, and it will go to the Supreme Court. The important effect, the more important effect, I think, is how much it disrupts the markets. Yeah. And this seems like another attempt to spook the insurance companies. And seemingly it comes at a kind of a tenuous time, at least in this part of the year, because now is the time where a lot of these insurers would start to put their rates together for 2019, correct? Exactly. So they're going to decide first if they're going to participate in the markets and then what they're going to charge. Yeah. And, of course, insurers hate uncertainty more than anything, so this just just makes the markets that much less attractive to them. Catherine? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think a lot of sort of people in the industry weren't as surprised as maybe the rest of us by the position that DOJ took. And I think they think the chances that this are going to impact the 2019 market are very, very low, you know, but that being said, insurance, the insurance industry does not like 
uncertainty. And there's already a couple curveballs this year, one of them being the, you know, still pending release of the rules on short-term and association health plans, which people, you know, don't know what kinds of plans may be joining ACA-compliant plans in the market and what the timing of that is. And then, you know, obviously the, um, the mandate itself being zeroed out, which is something that people already do know about and are pricing for, and I think even priced for to a certain extent last year. We are joined uh, in studio by Rob Field of Drexel University on the phone with uh, Catherine Hempstead of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So then, Rob, do we make anything then also? And part of this, obviously, is the is the brief filed by the Republican-led states. But you also, from what I read, had a brief filed by Democratic-run states as well, trying to counteract this, correct? Right. Well, you under normal circumstances, you would expect the administration to defend a law that's on the books. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's highly unusual for the administration not to do that. Obama did, in fact, do that with the Defense of Marriage Act, but it is extremely unusual. What's going to happen here is that that position will be carried forward by those Democratic attorneys general. So the dynamics of the case uh, basically remain the same. Uh, there are Republican attorney generals bringing the case, Democratic attorney generals fighting it. Uh, the administration's position uh, probably won't change the outcome a whole lot one way or the other. It just is highly uh, unusual uh, for an administration to, to look at a book, uh, a law in the books and say, we're not going to stand behind but, it. But seemingly that has yeah, kind of, Catherine, been the path of, of this administration uh, almost right from day one of being in office. Well, I mean, I think they've basically tried to take every shot at the ACA that they could. You know, there are a few legislative things that that failed, a couple successes. And then I think administratively, there have been, you know, quite a few attempts to to undermine the the functioning of the ACA. And you can kind of look at this as another one. But I mean, I think um, it is really, really significant as uh, kind of a a symbol of of DOJ not defending federal law, which is really what we would expect in almost any situation. And there are, you know, very few precedents for this. And so I think in some ways it's, it's more significant that way than in, you know, with the idea that it's going to actually have any impact on the ACA, which, you know, I agree is pretty, um, you know, pretty unlikely because it's not considered to be legally a strong case. Now, for those people that, that don't know, Rob, and are reading up on these stories, a lot of people will say, OK, well, if, if we're talking about something that is involving the Affordable Care Act, why is it that we're getting this reaction from the Justice Department and Jeff Sessions? Well, I think because Trump has made the Affordable Care Act a, a, a central part of his mission yeah. uh, since when, when he was running for office. Uh, it is Obama, an important part of Obama's legacy, and he has made it clear he wants to wipe out as much of Obama's legacy as he can. So mm-hmm. I think there's the, the emotional aspect of it and, and the partisan aspect of it. And uh, I think if they, they saw an opportunity to act on that. But what about the legality on it? I, I mean, as you said, I mean, for the most part, administrations, new administrations have basically said, okay, if a law is on the books, we're not going to bother, you know, right. trying to change it. Right. You're talking about something different here. Right, right, right. Well, go back to when Obama decided he would not defend the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, right. the law that said a marriage had to be between a man and a woman. Right. And ultimately, that position prevailed at the Supreme Court. And in a sense, he was vindicated. It is hard to imagine this case succeeding. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I would think it's more likely than not that it will end up being withdrawn because the Supreme Court ruling will probably come after the next election cycle, even perhaps uh, the next presidential election cycle. But if it is struck down uh, and if it's struck down decisively, uh, that would be a big black eye for the Trump administration. So you expect this to be in the Supreme Court at some point? It will unless it is withdrawn and the, because the political dynamics change. Catherine, you agree? Yeah, no. I mean, I do agree. And and I feel like I, I understand sort of why it's kind of part of the Trump administration's, you know, kind of um, modus operandi to go after the ACA and why this is kind of another page in that playbook. But I do think that it's gotten pretty lukewarm reaction from other Republicans. And to me, it seems like something that is kind of like an exploding cigar and is not necessarily going to be helpful for them, especially with the midterm elections coming. And I don't think a lot of Republicans want to revisit these issues. And they're really going after some of the the facets of the ACA that are the most popular with voters, like, you know, coverage for people with pre-existing condition and community rating. So, you know, I'm not so sure this is a smart move for them. Yeah. Um, another point people tend to forget is that as important as they are, the exchanges are one piece of the ACA. Right. Yep. There's 2,000 pages in there. Um, the Medicaid expansion. Now, the attorneys general say that they want the whole law invalidated and that would throw out the Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. At least the Trump administration isn't going that far. Uh, but uh, – the ACA, even without the exchanges, the ACA is a powerful, important law throughout the healthcare system. Medicaid expansion is not just for the low-income people who get health care. It's for the hospitals that serve them, uh, that now have less um, uncompensated care, mm-hmm. and for the other providers that are part of the mix, and for the insurance companies that administer Medicaid programs in most states and have a key business opportunity in the expansion. There's accountable care organizations, groups of doctors and hospitals who try to uh, incur efficiency and higher quality. Uh, there's a law allowing uh, biosimilars, um, generic versions of, of specialty drugs uh, to come on the market. There's innovations in the way Medicare reimburses doctors and hospitals. Yeah. Uh, so, so even without the exchanges, uh, there's a very important law there that it seems that no one is really talking about. Well, I found it interesting, Catherine, going back and looking at this recently, that I guess with the original 2012 Supreme Court decision, that the approval on it basically was given because of the right of the government to tax, which I, which I kind of found very interesting. Yeah. No, that's right. And, you know, and that argument at the time kind of, you know, rhetorically tethered the mandate to these other two features of the market, you know, the uh, guaranteed issue and the community rating, which is now this argument that that the, um, the DOJ is using to try to say that they're, you know, they can't be severed. So if you've gotten rid of one, you've got got to get rid of the other two. But, you know, as um, as Bob said, there's you know, there's there's so many other aspects to the ACA that, you know, the, the idea that you're going to, quote unquote, pull it out root and branch and take care of all these other um, aspects of it and, and eliminate them is, is really not credible. So it comes down to this very sort of limited aspect of the ACA that's probably one of the more visible parts of it. But, you know, I do think even if they even if for some reason they were able to succeed and they ended up with an individual market that had tax credits and exchanges, but no requirement that people offer coverage that's, you know, guaranteed issue and no requirement of community rating. I mean, I would say good luck to the regulators in in that environment. And I don't really know how, how you would manage a market like that. So I sort of feel like no matter what happens, they're going to lose. 
Go ahead, Bob. I, I wanted to pick up on Catherine's point about the politics of yeah. this, because the way this has been playing out is Trump wants to get rid of the guarantee of coverage sure. for people who yeah. are sick. Yeah. And that's going to be uh, – that's a losing position in mm-hmm. terms of what the public believes, yeah. and it's also going to be a very motivating position uh, for the people who want to come out and defeat Trump and his allies. And because basically it comes down to a business decision that he's trying to eliminate something that obviously would impact positively the insurance companies so that they don't have to cover as many people who have the who have any kind of condition correct uh, yeah uh, and yet the insurance companies are against this lawsuit uh, they see it bringing yeah. in chaos, and they see mm-hmm. the exchanges, which have turned into a decent business opportunity for them, uh, going away. So then what is the – what do you think then is the driver then, Catherine, if if you have the insurance companies that are obviously understand that this is, this is going to cause problems, if you have you know the, the citizenry of the U.S. that understands that this is going to be an impact, what is driving this? Is it, is it strictly President Trump or there have to be some elements that are helping him? make this decision at this point i mean i i mean i don't um i don't have a lot of uh visibility as they say into you know what's exactly going on in yeah. the Trump administration but i would say you know it's a part of his base that's sort of saying you know it's it's key to motivate our side that you leave no stone unturned in trying to you know unravel the aca and you know, in any manner than you can that you can, no matter how far fetched or how tenuous or how ridiculous the claim or how it wouldn't even, you know, be a very good state of affairs for us if you actually prevailed legally and had to had to run this market that you've created. So, I mean, I think that is what's kind of impelling this this action. But I, you know, I I do think that the the kind of mainstream Republican Party is is not pleased with this and does not think it's going to be helpful for them because it because it won't. And I mean, I would also say that, you know, like I think picking up on something Bob said, I mean, I think this year the the individual market, I mean, it's it's sort of cruising at a lower altitude than people thought and hoped that it would. Yeah. But I but I don't think it's terribly unstable right now. In fact, I think we're going to see some entry of carriers this year because I think a lot of carriers had a good year last year. And I think that the, you know, the population it serves, which is largely the subsidized population, and I don't think we've succeeded at serving unsubsidized people in this market. And that's, you know, that's a problem. But the population that it does serve, I think we're starting to see some stability. So I think that you know, last year's filing season was very rocky with lots of exits and people worried about Bear counties and whatnot. This year, I think, you know, we're seeing a much more sort of stable environment. And I think most of the industries, they're not shrugging this off, but they're 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 proceeding and they're, you know, they're filing their plans. I don't think we're going to see anybody pull out because of this news. I, I agree with, with Catherine, Bob, or Rob, that the fact that seemingly the Affordable Care Act, whether you were in favor of it or not, it has really taken kind of an under-the-radar approach the, the, this year. There hasn't been much discussion about it at all until until we've gotten to this point. Uh, until this lawsuit, yeah. Um, there was an expectation that the markets would take a big hit when Trump shortened the period for enrolling and cut the funding for advertising. Yeah. And yet the enrollment was almost as large as it had been the year before. I think there are a lot of people who are now depending on it, people who are sick and couldn't get coverage elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it really has uh, become an embedded feature that each year that goes by, it, it's harder to push out. Um, but I continue to be surprised at the 
passions that are uh, unleashed uh, by the opponents. Um, There was a lot of feeling that back in 2010 when the law passed, uh, there would be a sense by the opponents that it was like Medicare. You know, they tried to fight it. They lost. Now they'll work to to make it work. They might uh, gripe, uh, but but ultimately uh, they'll try to make sure that the public good is, is met. And it's just through law, um, legislation, uh, publicity. Well, it's an all or nothing. It, re- uh, yeah. it really has become an all or nothing at this point. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, given that they've got nothing uh, in terms of, of the legislation and, and the lawsuits, yeah. uh, I, I continue to be surprised that even today they're still at it. And the only thing I can imagine is they think they're energizing their base. Catherine? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating that um, you know that some of the some of the rhetoric that you read. Like, I, I read a statement from Texas that said something like, um, "You know, Texans have known for years that Obamacare is you know a, a disaster and a morass." You know, but meanwhile, you know, as as we we all know, there are approximately a million Texans enrolled in marketplace plans, and it's actually a you know pretty reasonable provider market. I mean, carrier market that's that's you know competitive and doing pretty well. So, I mean, there's this complete disconnect between what, you know, some political leaders are saying and what the actual revealed behavior is of people living in these red states who, you know, want health insurance just as much as anybody else. Right. And of course, Texas has been a longtime red state as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, it has this kind of um, symbolic or sort of, you know, uh, rhetorical resonance with a certain constituency as something that has to be defeated at all costs. But I mean, I really think that on the ground, this is not motivating a lot of people. And I think a lot of, you know, more mainstream Republicans are, are really worried that this is going to bite them. Yeah. Uh, what's really sad is I, I wonder if you took all the money that's being spent on these lawsuits, on the lawyers and the judges and, yeah. and everyone else who supports them, yeah. and, and, and on the lobbying and on the higher insurance rates, and put it towards subsidies so more people could get coverage, uh, we would probably reduce the cost of Obamacare and, and we'd all be happy. Well, and again, playing off something both of you said is that, you know, uh, I don't think there's much doubt that, and, you know, we've had. Other experts come in here and say this, that, you know, when the Affordable Care Act went into went into existence, it wasn't a perfect right. piece of legislation. Right. There were there were things that, you know, especially after it played out for a year that that did, did need to be tweaked or changed. And and that, I think, is is what the expectation was for a lot of people, as you kind of alluded to before, that there will be tweaks, there will be changes, right. how significant they are. You know, we'll wait and see, but the, but the ACA will still remain to be a a a functioning piece moving forward. Now, you know, it, it makes you wonder where we're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it gets back to this all or nothing strategy. Uh, I, I think if the opponents had had more of a piecemeal strategy, uh, they might have been more successful. Um, I, I think Trump is trying more of a piecemeal strategy to sort of hit at the law in different ways. Yeah. Um, but this idea that we have to repeal the whole thing when there are so many other provisions in there that are benefiting so many uh, people and companies, yeah. uh, I, I think is one of the reasons that they haven't succeeded. Uh, last year, when they were trying to uh, pass their repeal legislation, uh, they wanted to do away with the Medicaid expansion, yeah. make dramatic changes to Medicaid. If they had settled on a narrower topic, they might well have gotten it passed. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, they, they've really uh, shot themselves in the foot, I think. Catherine? 
Yeah, I think that's true unless they're actually afraid to succeed because they really might not want to deal with that world either, which I sometimes wonder about. I mean, one of the things that always strikes me is that some of the states that are the most sort of vociferously anti-ACA and and sort of cite the, you know, the premium levels in their own state as, you know, the kind of explanation for why the ACA is, is the worst thing in the world. A lot of those states have really done so many like terrible things to their own markets that mm-hmm. have really created a lot of sort of self-inflicted wounds, you know, like they've permitted all these, you know, pre-ACA insurance products to stay, um, to stay on the books. They've allowed a lot of sales of different kinds of short-term plans and um, they have um, not expanded Medicaid and they've, you know, they've just made a series of decisions that have created, you know, bad outcomes in their own state. And then, you know, they, but what, but what the, the, what they point at is is the ACA itself, you know, and then you see other states that have really made a lot of opposite decisions and have lower premiums and are doing a lot better. And I think now with some of the things that are going on with the short term plans and the um, and the mandate going away, we're seeing some states take a lot of steps to protect themselves and sort of hermetically seal themselves off from these things that are happening at the federal level. And then other states are just clearly not. So I think we're going to see differences between states, you know, kind of widen. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. So so I I want to pick up on Catherine's point about that maybe they're afraid that they'll succeed. Um, (laughs) had, had, Had the laws succeeded last summer and millions of people been thrown off their coverage, both yeah. through the exchanges and Medicaid, uh, that could have really exploded in the face of Republicans. Uh, right. So uh, it, it reinforces my belief that this is really about energizing the base uh, and less about implementing actual policy. Yeah, because you wouldn't, uh, you didn't have a, a secondary option for for them for the, all those people. Right. Well, the slogan has been repeal and replace, uh, yeah. but the replace part uh, is it, really yet to emerge. Um, if they had a real replace alternative, then the dynamics would be different. Right. Um, but they they really were talking about repeal with not a whole lot of replace, which would have caused chaos and could have blown up in their faces. So then, Catherine, then what are the options then when, when this does come forward and? front of this judge what are the options for the judge in this in this uh in this situation do you think well i mean i'm definitely not the legal expert here but all the you know all the things i've read including what rob said suggests that you know it's not going to be considered to be a very persuasive argument and you know probably will not prevail or if it does will be will be appealed and ultimately not successful i mean i think in terms of what the market's going to look like this year there are a lot of positive signs of, of of some companies wanting to get back in. I think a big unknown is what these short-term plans are going to do to the market and whether, you know, sometimes I wonder if they're going to be a lot less important than, um, you know, than people fear. And if maybe the people's taste for these kinds of products is, is not as great as, you know, you might imagine from some of the rhetoric, because a lot of the repeal replace proposals did involve sort of making it easier for people to buy coverage that was less good. And I think, you know, over time, I think people are starting to realize that that really is less good. You know, that is inferior coverage. And I I really do wonder if, you know, we're going to see these policies selling like hotcakes, like some people believe, or if the market's basically going to shrug them off and we're, you know, we're going to end up with a situation basically like we had last year. And I think that that is another thing is a lot of big markets have um, excluded or severely restricted those kinds of policies. So right. I think that, the, you know, the available real estate for that product is, is becoming smaller. 
Yeah, I think if you wanted uh, the best crystal ball, you, you would ask an actuary uh, and see yeah. how these different changes are actually affecting the bottom line of the insurers. Uh, as Catherine was saying, we've got these short-term policies with minimal coverage. Are they yeah. going to siphon people away? We also see people buying coverage and then dropping it and then picking up it again when, when they get sick. How serious is that to the bottom lines of insurers? Yeah. Uh, the uncertainty, uh, how scary is that? Uh, mm-hmm. These are a lot of unknowns. But I think the strategy is to create as many unknowns as possible. Uh, so the insurers will decide it's just too risky, we'll stay away. Uh, but yeah. it seems like that, even with all the turmoil, it seems like that isn't happening. Right, exactly. And Catherine, I mean, if if these insurers see from the, the, the cost-benefit perspective that you know, this is running fairly well and they're not going to be taking it on the chin significantly mm-hmm. from a financial perspective, what we see in the courts may not even matter at this point. Well, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. If, you know, if for some reason, um, you know, there there is there is some success so that, you know, the guaranteed issue and community rating are, quote unquote, struck down. And again, I think the implementation of this is extremely confusing. Like, would it mean that it couldn't mean that you're not allowed to offer products like that. Right. It might mean that you don't have to offer products like that. And again, I think we're going to see states, you know, probably at the urging of their carrier community, many states, you know, more than the small number of states that had those kinds of regulations before the ACA. Um, but but many other states might very quickly move to say, you know what, we're going to regulate our individual market so that, you know, major medical is the only thing that can be sold and it has to be guaranteed issue and it has to be community rated because that's the market that we currently have. Yeah. So I think that states could um, could really regulate this away anyway. And, you know, you'll find your Nebraska and your Wyoming or whatever that, that might not do that. But, the you know, the vast majority of the population is going to be in states like, uh, you know, New York, California, New Jersey, et cetera, where I think – and it's going to come from the carrier community as well as, as people in the healthcare system. You know, everybody's going to say, don't blow up our market. Yeah. So I think we're uh, maybe moving towards a two-tier healthcare system, red and blue. Um, we yeah. already have two of the blue states yeah. Yeah. that have imposed their own state-level mandates. Uh, we have most of the blue states have their own exchanges, which are doing much better than the federal exchange. It may turn out to be that your health care will depend on what state you live in. Uh, that seems to be where, where it's going. Wow. That's that's not a – and we have talked, Rob, so many times about the, the complexities of health care and all of the issues around it. I don't even know if that solves any of the issues. It doesn't seem like it, depending on which state you live in. That's where you can get your health care. I mean, we have enough issues already. Go, you know, cross borders. You know, uh, living in locations. People will be taking up apartments in, in certain states to get the better health coverage. Uh, could be. Uh, you know, it happens with other social programs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't happen as much as people. I think there've been quite a few studies of this, and it doesn't seem to happen as much as people might expect that it would, but I mean, it is an extremely well, valuable benefit. And but, if you look at a place like Texas that has an insurance rate of 20% or something like that, you, you would think it would have more of an impact on interstate migration, which is at a, like an all-time low, you know, interestingly, but it, it doesn't seem to. But I do think that these, you know, these state differences definitely could widen. But one thing that I've been watching out of the corner of my eye is that there's a little bit of a conversation in some places about creating a kind of a Medicaid buy-in or some sort of a workaround to the affordability problems in the unsubsidized part of this market. I mean, the you know, the one we hear about a lot is is allowing the sale of kind of second, you know, grade B plans like short term plans, whatever. But then the other one is and it really comes usually more from the left is the idea of some kind of a 
a public option or a way to buy into Medicaid or yeah. kind of a something like that. And, you know, if you if you look around, you'll see that these things are being proposed in Iowa, Oklahoma, Wyoming. You know, will they succeed? Well, they probably yeah. won't. But it but it, it's, it is a recognition that there are people in those states that realize that, you know, there is a segment of this market that really doesn't have affordable coverage. And it's not really OK to just say, hey, you can buy a short term plan. Catherine, I'm telling you, if people, if parents will buy an apartment in a specific school district to get their kid into a particular better school district, people will do this cross-state to get the better health coverage. I guarantee it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. Catherine, great having you with us on the show. Rob, as always, great having you. Thank you both for joining us. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 